everybody, welcome back, and indeed, welcome us back, I hope, to the Arts Equator Theatre podcast. It's been a while. But I have with me, of course, Naeem Kapadia. Hello. And we've brought in the big guns. We've got Nabila Saeed, editor of Arts Equator. Hey. And today we will be discussing You're in Town, the musical by Pangdemonium, and Lim Boon Keng, the musical. It's a thing with musicals. They have mm-hmm. to say either the musical or have an exclamation mark at the end. This time we have the former. Those are what we are going to be discussing today. She is the guest. She shall begin. Well, she's not the guest because she'll be joining us permanently from now on. <laughs> Nabila, start us off with You're in Town. Hi. Okay, so... Um, we have You're in Town by Pandemonium, um, a musical that I think we were all looking forward to because it comes from uh, New York. I was going to say straight from New York, but it's actually been... Somewhat delayed. <laughs> almost 20 years, I think, yeah. since it, uh, it premiered in New York. But yeah, so this is um, a kind of a Singapore version of You're in Town. Um, plot-wise, we have an unnamed town, I believe, um, and there's a water shortage. And so there's a law that says that um, you can't have private toilets, basically, in your home and you have to pay for it um, in public, which isn't really something we're not, not familiar with in Singapore. Um, but in the play, you know, it's a, a really big thing. Yeah, you've actually made that sound a lot more coherent than it was watching the play where everything immediately falls apart the second you even begin to think about it. There's not really much point talking about this except to say that their entire metaphor just doesn't work at all. And they try and make that part of the fun. It wasn't part of the fun for me. Naeem, your thoughts? No, I think that's the thing because... Everyone who watches You're in Town knows that it's supposed to be this satire on communism, on the capitalist lifestyle. Well, we could keep listing and that, though, couldn't it, we, about yeah, what it's supposed ex- exactly, to be a satire on. Exactly, but the conceit of the whole toilets, for me, it mm. just it's nothing more than just a gag. Mm. Yeah, it's a very, very cheap gag, which gets repeated absolutely ad nauseum. And you said communism versus capitalism. Yeah, that's one of your options. And then you've got possibly it's about environmentalism, Mm -hmm. possibly it's about uprisings and putting down those uprisings, possibly it's about the danger of hope. They end off by saying it's about population control because the last line of the play is Hail Malthus. If you're going to have a metaphor, like aim it at something. Satire is not satire without a target, right? Yeah. Mm. So it just felt like a sort of musical that seems to spread in all different directions without any kind of concentrated focus. And I think added to all of this was the fact that it sets out to satire the genre of musicals itself. So it Mm. sort of becomes a bit of a self-referential gag, if you like. And peppered throughout the play, the two characters played by um, one of the officers, the law enforcement officer who was played by Adrian Pang. Officer Lockstock, I believe. Lockstock and a street urchin called Little Sally and they basically go around making fun of the musical form. They talk about things like exposition, they talk about things like, um, you know, musicals which have weird names and they talk about, um, um, you know, overwrought sequences and all of these things that, you know, people normally make fun of musicals for. So, you know, I'm just not quite sure what the intention was here. Like, are you are you wanting to sort of take this seriously? Um, you want to sort of create a target, try to address these big issues, but at the same time, you laugh at yourself. Mm. Um, I just, for me, you know, I just couldn't 
see the... I mean, there's lots of musicals that do that, but it's something you have to earn. You have to have an amazing, entertaining script. You have to have really singable songs. You've got to have these fantastic production numbers. I'm thinking of shows like Little Shop of Horrors, which takes the piss out of musicals. I'm thinking of The Book of Mormon or... Um, Avenue Q does it amazingly. Yeah. There's one which hasn't come here yet, and I really wish Pandemonium had done it instead, called The Drowsy Chaperone, which does literally take the piss out of musicals of this same time period. Nope, we get this instead. It's dull, it doesn't earn it, the songs are awful. I didn't quite mind the meta-theatrical bits of it, and even like the wink-wink about Singapore and Malaysia and our kind of like water crisis or whatever. Um, but I think the fact that like you guys were saying that there wasn't really a, a particular target or it was more like there's, there's too many targets, that then that meta-theatricality like doesn't, doesn't um, have anything to contrast it against. So it, it was very kind of like random. Um, yeah, and so when really. it did happen, I didn't mind it, but it just didn't have the other side of it to balance, which basically the story. Yeah, okay. I, I don't mind it, except when they aim it at something which is happening in the world now, which is really, really serious. There's a riot in the show and... The lower class characters who need to pee for free are defending against the police with umbrellas. And that's Hong Kong. And do you really want your audience going, ha ha ha, Hong Kong, ha ha ha, pee, umbrellas, ha ha. What? I, I thought that was an awful taste. Really, really bad. I think like in light of like Greta Thunberg and like kind of mm. the discussions we're having about climate, which has become really kind of like a mature mm. conversation. And we yeah. are also trying to figure out how to talk about these things which are affecting the world. This kind of musical, perhaps at this time, somehow felt a bit out of, I don't know, like out of sorts or it just didn't yeah. sit well, I think, uh, with the kind of times that we are living in now. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think the problem is, and you know, Pangdemonium, they, they, they do... Uh, to their to their credit, they do try to tackle the sort of quote unquote big issues. They they've done plays about depression and dementia yeah. and and um you know um and mental mental about, illness and yeah. all of those things. But I think here you're really stretching yourself a little bit thin when you know you have this ludicrous conceit about you know a world where people can't own their own toilets and suddenly you're billing it as a play that tackles climate change, yeah. um and suddenly making references to like a cross border water crisis mm. and. This is all happening despite the fact that for some weird reason the entire aesthetic of the piece seems to be set in the Depression era. You've and got, specifically New York. Yeah. You've got a, a, a set that clearly has a bit of an art deco, neo-noir mm -hmm. sort of um, aesthetic about it. Everyone's kind of in that sort of costume and yet they're very contemporary references that are being made, um, you know, to Hong Kong, which was obviously in, in quite poor taste, but also just about Singapore and Malaysia. And I just, the whole locale for me was just a huge question mark. And I just couldn't put my finger on whether this was meant to be faithful to the play or was it an updated, localised take on the play or just a hodgepodge of both. It seemed opportunistic, didn't it? Yeah. We don't know what it is, so what can it be? And then start throwing darts at a board and see what you end up with. Yep. Yeah, a bit of a shame. But, well done. <laughs> yeah, the production quality was amazing. I think me and Naim were raving about the set. Um, I I really like how they, how they used the set and the aesthetic quality. I yeah. appreciated it a lot. 
um, I wasn't really um, that bothered about the like Art Deco, like New York versus kind of like Singapore contemporary that much. Um, and I think in terms of like the sing- the singing was amazing. I thought the product yes. the the cast was amazing. I don't think we have anything uh, we have anything bad to really say about the cast. I think Adrian Pang did a really good job as well in uh, the lead role. Yeah, no, no. And and if there was one thing I will wholeheartedly say is that Town had great production quality. Yep. So they had a fantastic set. They, 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 they're working with Yusian Chia who is an architect and who is a frequent collaborator as well. And it's all... a tricky ask for the set as well mm. because you've got to do a lower class kind of slum area and the sewers okay it's easy to make the same area look like both of those things but on the other hand it's got to be kind of a swanky captains of industry penthouse Mm. and that was accomplished so well with such quick changes they roll a truck on they roll a truck off they change some doors around they Mm. change the lighting I was glad I brought students to it just for that because they really struggle with set changes when they're writing yeah. their assignments. I'm like, that's how you do it. Perfect. And that was a really... And it's interesting because I watched You're in Town with um, a friend who rarely goes to the theatre and goes to kind of the occasional show that comes in, you know, Marina Bay Sands, Mamma Mia, that sort of thing. And he said, oh, this has an amazing set like I would not have been surprised if you told me this was a foreign import which just goes to show the level of the production quality it was rather a higher standard than most foreign imports who have to yeah and I mean quite apart from the set I think as always, Tracy works with a fantastic team. Um, I really like the choreography, which was done by Andy Chai. Um, mm-hmm. And there was just this wonderful sense of both classical and, you know, whimsical elements to, to the various numbers that mm-hmm. somehow keeps you captivated. And the cast was truly, truly fantastic. Um, there were the, the two romantic leads... Um, uh, Benjamin Chow and Mina Kay have have done a couple of shows now. They they're really really strong performers in their own right, and each of them have the chance to really um you know wow the audience with um you know a specific mm. song. So for me, I really really enjoyed just seeing that wealth of talent on stage, and not just in the lead roles, but even in the supporting roles. There's some really nice little turns that are. Yeah, I think we really like um, Little Sally. She nailed it. <laughs> she really nailed it. In fact, I thought she was a little girl. <laughs> I was wondering how old she was. I, I think she is a young actress, but she was really convincing in her kind of um, like um, innocent yet knowing too, like more than, than she should know. Yeah, that's May um, Eliessa playing Little Sally. Uh, she was one of two people who absolutely nailed the style for me. And the style is so broad. Mm. It's really like mind your language. It's a decades out of its time, even for when it was written. But she made it entertaining because it was so arch, so emphatic, so stylized. Yeah, it was awful, but Mm. she made it watchable. Mm. And for me, Mina Kay made it watchable to an extent as well. Just the kind of bright, sunshine-faced commitment she did to it doesn't hurt that she can really sing. Not everybody else was quite at that standard for me, but it was a high standard overall. And it's a big ask for me to make something that deliberately lowbrow um, watchable. Hmm. I think um, maybe the reason why uh, May, Alyssa and Adrian Pang to me felt like really kind of that they nailed the style Mm. was maybe because they were kind of like narrators as well. So Mm. they kind of sat outside the story and maybe it helped to do that 
when you come when it comes to a play or a musical like this where we said like it, it was kind of like everywhere and trying to do mm. a lot of things at the yeah, same time. Yeah, it makes the irony a bit easier to see. I and think contextualizing. So. Yeah. You might be right there. Yeah. yeah, the cast had to save it though because the music, the songs. Yeah, see, shaking hands. I I would struggle to remember anything apart from maybe Run Freedom Run, yep. and even then very fleetingly. Um, so the songs just not memorable. Um, you know, Tracy normally does a really great job with direction in terms of her pace, her sensitivity. For me, I think because of the material she had, she sort of pushed it almost towards a pantomime level, which was something it that... It is, though. What would yeah, you do? It, yeah. You know, it's just it, it just felt a little grating at times yeah, to, to, to um, you know, see every line being treated like it was a sort of cheap gag. And I, I'm sure that might be part of the script itself. But, you know, you have like this cardboard thin romance that plays out in five minutes. You have like um, a main character who gets killed and it's a, a sort of a almost a stage gag of yeah. sorts. <laughs> it's exactly a stage gag of sorts. Yeah. This production wants to have its cake and eat it. It wants you to feel and then it wants you to dismiss that. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's a Brechtian thing. And I've seen studies of how this is supposed to be a Brechtian musical, but Brecht aims at something. There's a target. There's no target for this. Yeah. I think it's just important also to just have that, that you know, sense of emotional connection to the story for this one, you know, you you are taken on a bit of a journey. You 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 have you know one of the lead characters killed. The romantic girl becomes a bit of a revolutionary, mm. but then you are told in literally the last few minutes that everything failed and ultimately it all the was ruthless for, dictator was yeah. kind of like doing something good for yeah. the country it was all for nothing and yeah. and you know you just wonder almost what's the point of this entire thing well that is do exactly i even care it. do i because even care for me they did it incredibly well but it must also be possible to let's say you're in a lift and someone farts it must be possible to do that really well like with really good buttock tension and then a melodic kind of pop coming out and a rich earthy smell. And it's like, well done. You really farted in a lift incredibly impressively. But on the other hand, maybe don't. <laughs> and that's just what I feel about this production. And it's pandemonium as a whole. Whatever they do, they're going to do well. Mm. And usually they choose plays which are good to excellent. They're productions of Spring Awakening, Next to Normal, musicals that are really excellent and done. I saw both of those on Broadway. I can honestly say they did it better than the Broadway versions. Mm. Presumably they did this better than the Broadway version. It's not worth doing. And with that somewhat final statement, let us move on to Lim Boon Kang the Musical. Now, this production, the lead character had an awful lot of mansplaining, so I'm going to shut up. Nabila. Um, so Lim Moon King, the musical, is written by Stella Kon of Emily of Emerald Hill fame, of course, which we just watched in August, I believe. Um, so she's written this musical about her, I think her great-grandfather, Lim Boon King, um, who's kind of like a pioneer of Singapore. Maybe we don't know much about him. And so that's why I think this musical exists, uh, for her to kind of tell us about um, mm. about her ancestor. And, and, and I think she was actually trying to say talk about how he was urging like the Pranakans to modernize and yeah. to you know learn Chinese for example there was definitely a sense in which he seemed to have some historical importance but I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was 
I mean, he started the Singapore Chinese that Girls was, School. That was definitely the thing that you could tick off, right? That was the countable thing. And then there were all these vague, went over here, said this, did this businessy <laughs> thing thing. Yeah. So that was the thing. Mm. So... Obviously, it's centered on this man, this pioneer of Singapore, mm. who did great things, who had ties with the Chinese, and who, um, you know, was a champion of his Peranakan community, mm. but also, um, of education, and 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 then also it explores kind of his own personal life and his relationships and things like that. So it starts off with you know a bit of an anchor. You have this sense of a character who's got a bit of gut and gumption to him. He comes in and he talks about like, oh, you know, women should not bind their feet. Chinese. Um, Peranakan women should should go to school mm. and things like that. But then the character sort of flattens off, and oh, well, you thought it was it had some texture to begin with. It it there was like a sense of someone who knew what he wanted, and I thought, okay, okay maybe they could go somewhere with this, but they did not, mm. and it just sort of went downhill from there. I watched the show, which spans something like fifty years. We start in. 1895 when he was um, um, voted into the Legislative Council and it goes all the way up to the 1940s and Sebastian Tan who plays the character looks and sounds exactly the same. Mm. I don't know whether that was an intention. He walked slightly slower at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe there was a very to- token attempt to look like an old man. I don't yeah. know, but I just did not feel but that yeah, character yeah. changed <laughs> at all. Mm. And, um, you know, we made this comment. Um, Nabila and I saw saw the show together. And there's this, um, so there's another character, this um played by George Chan, who's sort of like the best friend of Sebastian yeah. Tan's yeah. character. Ong Siang, I think. He, um, um, Song oh, Ong, Ong Siang. And there's this... Um, Funny line where he goes, oh, old chap, where we're almost at the end of our lives or something. And you see two men looking like, you know, in their 30s or <laughs> something. Jim Fresh. Jim <laughs> Fresh. And you're just like, OK, maybe you could have conveyed the age just a little bit to give mm. us a sense of time passing. Mm. Because if not for like the big multimedia flashes that go 1921, 1948, I would have absolutely no sense of the time. Yeah, It just mm. felt flat. And on that note about multimedia... <laughs> you... You're giving me the look that there's this one big bugbear I have, and we talked about it before the show, and I'm g- the lighting and the multimedia. Brian Gotong Tan, you are a talented individual. What the hell are you playing at? You are credited here for multimedia design, and the set was a two-level set, and it's the standard kind of back wall with diagonal sides that creates a playing area and then that raises to a second level which has kind of bleacher seating Mm. and okay so already that's a way of creating two stages that are both slightly too small but never mind Mm. the problem was that instead of building texture into the walls of the set all of that was done by projection rear projection not so much a problem front projection if an actor stands in front of that the actor has scenery on them Mm. I've seen this before several times. Guys, don't do it. It's incredibly stupid. Nobody walks around with a wall on their face. What are you thinking? And then the lighting designer has to overcompensate for that by 
washing the faces of the people who are supposed to be in focus far too bright, luridly bright, so that their features largely wash out. But on the other hand, you can't do it too much, and they've still got wall on their face. Can we put an absolute ban on this? It is idiocy. Okay, rant over. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it was like a... I, I kept thinking like, oh, do they not have enough budget? Because, you know, Naim was saying that all the names involved in the production design are really big names. Um, yeah, we have, you know, the set by Wong Chi Wai. You have, um, you know, um, Brian Gothong Tan doing the multimedia. You have Shata here doing the sound. Um, so, you know, look at Sim for costumes. doing the costumes. I mean, these are all very established names in the industry. Mm. Um, but for some reason, when I watched this show without really glancing at the program, it just felt really. Amateur hour. Yeah. And yes. An amateur student <laughs> production. I'm just going to say it, that that's what with it a felt surprisingly like. larger budget, but certainly not professional level. Mm. And yeah, that that's why I just wondered why why a little bit more attempt had not been taken just to mm. shape and craft this show, especially because Stella Con has been working on this for many many years. Yeah, uh, she approached Jeremiah I think a year and a half ago, and it was a much longer script originally mm. over three hours and it was condensed into 90 minutes but it's just weird even though it was condensed it still felt it like there long. was a lot of waffle in it yeah and i think the problem is that uh i felt it was a bit like reading a social studies report which was just somehow mm. set to song <laughs> like there was really yeah. nothing interesting i just felt like it they were just singing out like a verbatim report well, at times. How much of the dialogue would you say was exposition? Would 80% be unfair? I was going to say like 90%. 90%. So let's call it 85, right? <laughs> yeah. Of the remaining percentage of dialogue, I'm going to put, say, about 10 of it for literally the words Limbun Keng. <laughs> so it kind of goes like... 5% has to be Sambal Blachan. 5% maybe something like generalised Puranakan terms. Yeah. Yeah. So the play kind of goes, I am Limbun Kang and I have a great important thing to say. Women should have power. Then his wife says, oh, Limbun Kang, you're... No, shut up. I'm a man and I will tell you that women should have power and I will set up a school. And then everybody says, Limbun Kang. And then <laughs> they break into song and the end. Now you don't have to see it. Mm. And I think like in the beginning, they kind of tried to make it interesting by telling us that he was a tra like he was known as a traitor, or there was some kind of like belief yeah. that he was a traitor to the British government or the Chinese government. I don't. I got a bit confused. But then when it actually comes into the plot where we actually look at what he did that made him so called a traitor, they don't actually go into why he did what he did. He just like helped some people during the the war. Um, but doesn't really like we kind of spend a lot of the play looking at him like frowning on the bench, like a yeah. bench without actually knowing like what kind of went through his mind and all. And I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, you know, you have this very powerful opening scene where it's set in the war crimes tribunal post-World War II and he's being denounced as a traitor and there's yeah. all this big, you know, resounding kind of cries from the ensemble and all that. Um, and you somehow think that they're going to explore what led up to that moment. Yeah. The point is that in this 90 minutes, which plays without an intermission there is no climax whatsoever there's just a mm. series of small insignificant arcs and on top of that they basically play around with the time so you have the first wife Very who then randomly. mysteriously dies yeah. and then a second one comes into the picture and then the first wife comes back and he introduces everyone to the first wife and then the two women do a little duet with each other which which you know okay sure but 
I mean, the problem was that the first one died with absolutely no fanfare, with nobody caring about her, without her having said anything. And then that is, I guess, retrospectively supposed to be the great tragedy of his life. There is a way to make that work and to present it. But there was no understanding of how musical theatre works in any respect in this play. Like, at least for me, you're in town. Okay, I guess it's a plot. I guess it happens in a plot-like order. Mm. Limbung Kang, none of that. Yeah. History report, random. And I mean, there's formal. nothing wrong in having, you know, a sense of, you know, like this old man and his memories are flooding back. And, you know, there is this sense of non-linear sort of... Could um, have been handled, right? It could yeah. have been handled. But no, I think apart from that one weird bit in the middle, everything else is generally quite sequential. So that's why I was wondering mm. why that bit about the two women was kind of played that way. It was just very bizarre. Although, to be honest, that song was like the best thing about the musical. The I one gave. where the two wives sang. Yeah. yeah. They had a really nice counterpoint section where the, the two women sang against each other. I still don't really think the melodies were there and overall the songs were not memorable. Mm. But... Eh. I, be, I, f- I feel like um, I wanted to give credit to Celine Rosa Tan, who played mm. a second wife. I felt that the moment like she started singing, she kind of brought a emotional kind of some emotional depth to the entire that was, musical. That was the only bit that had pathos, which yeah, had yeah, been yeah. missing the whole time. Yeah, so I thought that at least she she did something quite good with the material that she had. Um, but I think unfortunately for this musical and like kind of historical mm. musicals in general, is that I always compare it to Hamilton. <laughs> Yes. And, and it kind of like you know but the thing about Ham- Hamilton is that it was based on like this really I don't know like a 400 page book right where mm. where the you know the author had put a lot of research into this individual but I kind of got the sense that like Stella Kwan you know despite being like a relative of Lim Boon King didn't maybe have a lot of insight into the actual man it really felt like they'd left the drama off stage mm. so much of it was Literally people spouting, I say people, largely Lim Boon King, played by Sebastian Tan, spouting political ideals in oddly formal language that nobody either speaks or writes. <laughs> and yet then you hear things like, he went to China to speak with the political leaders there about revolution. He helped Sun Yat-sen escape. And it's like, that's some drama. Yeah. Can I see that? <laughs> no, instead, I'll just watch him speak about how he loves the Peranakan community, but they're so backward and they need to stop doing everything that they do. Yeah, and I think it's 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 really saying something about mm-hmm. a show when you just do not really care about the main character at mm-hmm. all. Um, you know, you from start to finish, he just seems to be this mildly troubled sort of person with um, who seems to strut around with his own ideas mm-hmm. Um not really caring about what others others think. Um, you have people denouncing him in the war crimes tribunal. He looks like he has a mild headache, and that's about <laughs> it. Uh, okay, yeah. You know, I I I just yeah. I just didn't buy the character. Mm. So, and I think because the character was so kind of like unmemorable, sadly, I kind of clung to like the little bits of like interesting moments in the musical, which were maybe the song about Sambal Blachan, where you kind of see you kind of see the people come to life a little bit, and there's humor it was... and. At least some fun, probably the most entertaining part of it. Mm. But I couldn't get over it. I mean, Naeem, you talked about a mild headache. The sound <laughs> mixing, Shata here, it was, it was so bad. Mm. It was all... There was no bottom end to the voices. It was all around five kilohertz, and it's just daggers into your brain. Whereas, compare that with Town, Jeffrey Dre, that was perfect it's Mm. so hard to do and yet every voice was full and rich and yet didn't interfere with the band 
This was, as Nabila said earlier, amateur hour, and uh, it shouldn't be with the professionals involved. So mm. I think everything, unfortunately, went quite wrong from the very beginning here. Which brings us to the end. It's a sad end. It's a damning end. <laughs> we will see some excellent theatre. We will come back and report <laughs> on it at some point in the distant future. There's a lot of theatre happening, actually. There a is. lot of theatre happening, but... Not this month. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry about that. Right, we shall go away and be less horrible to the people we love in our lives. Thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.